You're listening to the Queensland Theatre Quality Time Podcast. Let me set the scene. Audiences adore a classic play, and the king of classics is undoubtedly Shakespeare. His plays continue to be performed around the world for 400 years and counting. As the centuries roll by, particular plays only become more timely. The Scottish play, for instance, continues to inspire countless other writers, while others might be viewed in a new light as kind of problematic, and they risk being put to the back of the bookshelf. So in 2021, why does Taming of the Shrew still matter? What can this work say to audiences of our era? And how does a director make it more entertaining than ever? Today, Lee Lewis sits down with Damien Ryan to find out. Hi, everybody. I'm Lee Lewis, the Artistic Director here at Queensland Theatre. Thank you for joining me for another Quality Time podcast, a series that was started back in COVID times, but now has evolved into a a way of pulling back the curtain on some of our shows that we're doing. Uh, Now, you're joining me while I'm sitting on the lands of the Yagara and the Turrbal people, and I'd like to acknowledge our traditional custodians of this land and acknowledge that stories have been told on this land for thousands and thousands of years. It always has been and always will be Aboriginal land, and we pay our respects to the elders, past, present, and emerging, who have ensured that in that always was and always will be tradition that a culture that is so valuable in the scheme of the world has some form of continuity despite the disruption and displacement of settlement. Now, joining me today is... I, actually, I've got to go a little bit fangirl. Is <laughs> <laughs> Damien Ryan, one of Australia's great theatre directors. He has joined us for a period of time to direct Taming of the Shrew, one of uh, Shakespeare's great comedies, tragedies, complicated <laughs> yeah, conversation <that's> plays. <laughs> Tell you, you decide for yourself what it is, uh, but. I've been a fan of Damien's work for a very long time and I've watched over the years as he's picked up buckets and buckets of awards for beautiful, beautiful productions. And what I've noticed every time I've seen him standing on the stage gracefully crediting everybody else with the work is the joy in the faces of the artists he works with, not because there's been an award won, but because the whole experience of working with him has been so culturally, so so theatrically enriching. So I've, I've always been a little bit jealous of <laughs> the rooms, <laughs> the rooms. I wish I could, like, there are not a lot of directors that make me wish I were an actor again, but Damien is definitely one. We can drag you in there, Lee. We can get you back on that stage. <laughs> no, very dangerous thing to say, isn't it? No, so thank you, Damien, and welcome to Queensland Theatre. Thank you, Lee. It's such a privilege to be here and look likewise fanboying back to you. It's all mutual. I would love to be in your room. But look, working up here in Queensland is is a joy. Uh, it's wonderful just to sometimes do something a little different with a different community too. You know, I've been making theatre for 27 years or something now and largely in one city, a little bit of work in Melbourne, a bit of acting here in Queensland. But to come up here and direct with a whole new team of people with an incredible theatre company, the support is extraordinary. You know, I run a small indie company, so when I sit in a production meeting, there's like five people (laughs) (laughs) pulling every single string, whereas they sit in here and there's just a team full of people who are so passionately connected to what you're doing. I counted something like 17 people helping to build the show and that's not even the cast, you know, so it's just a, a real treat. 
fortunate to be up here and working with a beautiful group of people. So thank you. There's a lot of talent in this company and there's there a lot is. of talent in this town. And I suppose it's that funny thing of of why bring in why bring in a director from out of town yeah. because there are great directors here in Brisbane. But I wanted to I wanted to give the actors here and the company itself a different perspective in on this particular play. We try and do a Shakespeare often because yeah. that's part of the job of a state theatre company. Is There's a heritage yeah. mandate, if you like, in our state theatre companies to ensure that there's a continuity of, of contact with our theatre traditions. And so Shakespeare is very valuable to me and to our audiences. And I wanted a different voice in that space. I also want to, perhaps unfairly, fling you into this <laughs> into this particular work. But I have to tell everybody, I, I saw Damien direct this work many years ago with his company Sport for Jove and I went in with all the suspicions that you, that some people do, that women do in, in relation to this this play. And what I saw, the understanding and the, and the complexity and the willingness to bravely, to a certain extent, reauthor ideas that I thought were set in stone for mm. the play. That was that courage to reauthor that I, without destroying a work that I saw in the play. I enjoyed it. I can talk about it academically, but I loved it and I hadn't expected to love it. And so that was something I wanted to share with audiences here. Yeah, uh, and that's why that's why I said, hey, Damien, would you be willing to come up to up to Brisbane? And he jumped. He's like, yes, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> and I don't think it was just because, you know, the weather at this time of year yeah. is quite lovely. <laughs> well, that's right. That's right. <laughs> but, but it is an interesting thing as a, as, as a director. You work with people you know over a long period of time. Yeah. Then you've got to walk into a room with people you don't know who yeah. don't know you. Yeah. What's that like on the first day? Yeah, it, it's actually it's very intimidating, certainly, because you do get very practised into your shorthand with uh, with actors, don't you, over, over years. But look, you, I do produce quite a lot of work, so I think one of the one of the beautiful things that you would know yourself about working in any company, particularly running a company, is to ensure there is always a stream of new people coming through. I think that's an incredibly valuable part. I think the door needs to remain open on these companies, big and small. Um, but coming into a new room with a whole new group of artists is a wonderful way to realise that you kind of have to earn their trust, you have to earn their respect, you've got to be diligent and rigorous in what you're explaining, you know, you can't rely upon your old tricks kind of thing. So it's a lovely moment of kind of redefining your approach to theatre a little bit. I don't think I have a – I often get asked, you know, what directorial kind of method or philosophy do you work to? And I, I think – I just don't think I have one. That's <laughs> so lovely I to did. hear you say because I don't think I have – I don't think I've ever approached two plays the I know, same way. I just somehow take the play and uh, whatever it is it is saying to me, I respond to and create a period – a rehearsal period based upon its particular strictures and demands and I, I don't – tend to look someone with a hovercraft above me could probably look down and go okay there's a series of traits that I'm repeating again and again but I kind of don't recognize them so coming up in here into this room and working with a whole new group of artists was a, a sort of a, um, a further exemplar of that practice I suppose of going okay I don't know you you don't know me let's dive in and wonderfully as you say with Shakespeare the work the text is the is the prize isn't it for yeah. all of us it's it's extraordinary writing whether or not it's as as sitting on such a tightrope of moral and social and fishes as a play like Tommy the Shrew is, the language and the ideas in it and his dramatic kind of strengths as a as a playwright are so extraordinary that in the end 
you all sit down around a table and the common humanity starts bouncing off the walls simply from reading and talking about the work, the way it x-rays who we are, the way it really everyone in that table is as we're talking about that play on that first day is is laughing is hurting is reflecting on their own lives particularly in relation to gender politics and those ideas that are in the play so it's funny how you, you're not just meeting a new group of people you're meeting a new group of people with an artwork that you're all sitting with and I think that kind of makes it effortless and by lunchtime <laughs> you're all singing singing together you know so that is like you say with Shakespeare and I'm a, a lover of of course I do a lot of it but I'm also very conscious of its of the dangerous place it kind of has in our syllabuses our curriculums our our theatre practice and yet there is something very simple to be said for the fact that actors such as the actors in that room such as the many who auditioned and directors they they want to work on these plays because of the incredibly high demands they set for us theatrically, you know, and our technique and our skills in, in the way they, they work with an audience. They're really demanding highly sophisticated works and I think actors will probably always crave the challenge of that. It's just the thing, isn't it? I talk to playwrights a lot about, you know, what plays should they be writing? People ask, what, what do you want? I'm like... Write plays that actors want to act. Yeah, yeah. Those are the plays that survive, roles that they that are complex and challenging and ask a lot of them uh, that if an actor doesn't want to play the play, the play doesn't get done. Yeah, that's right, that's right. And when we're competing with streaming, what do they call them, you know, the Netflixes and the stands of the world, et cetera, all these streaming services and, you know, cinema and everything. Something, I think that at the core of Shakespeare is language, the experience of, of speaking really, really, not just extravagant, but dynamic, visceral, muscular kind of language, full of imagery, full of metaphor, full of mythological references, full of drama and scale of emotion. And that stuff, I think, is is the perfect remedy to a, a kind of visual culture. So I think actors also, it's wonderful for actors to keep in tune that whole part of themselves that is the theatre of language. Theater it's of true. Speech, you know, you, you know? know that you want to be in the room when the yeah. when the Shakespeare is up and going, isn't it? You, yeah. It, uh, that question of why come back to the theatre after a year where people haven't been, why come back? When you come back and there's that live body in in the room with yeah. you, using every inch of its being to that's express right. this this language to you go, oh, yeah, got to be here. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It, doesn't, it doesn't work on screen in the same way. And it's been, it was interesting, a little bit of what I watched last year included some screen versions of adaptations. But also the, some of the, the Shakespearean films, which I haven't had time to sit and watch. And I, it was so, it, it just didn't belong in that space, which was a fascinating, yeah, funny, fascinating thing to dwell with the idea. And, and yet coming back, you kind of go, again, what plays do you put on the stage when you come back and you go we've got to come back to the big works the, yeah, because the yeah. why we do theater is in, like how oh, it's embedded in the why we do Shakespeare yeah that's right yeah. that's right there's something in the DNA of his writing that is always connected to that thing of live performance yeah it transcends borders it transcends epoch it's it's really really human I, I think that I guess and you know this from your own amazing work with Shakespeare that you, you basically spend every day yes it's an early modern play but you spend every day just looking for what is 
is most human, what is most yeah. human in this moment, what is most human in this scene, what is, if there's one thing, whoever this man was that wrote these plays, if there's one thing he could see, was well, not just incredible language, but he could see human relationships yeah. with a magnifying glass. And that's why you know it was one person, it wasn't well, a group of people, right. because you're yeah, going to go, right. the human that could see yeah, in that way, exactly. it's like a Picasso, it's like a Mozart, yeah. it's a particular and peculiar vision on it the is, world that really moves is. through all the plays. And you say that, but I actually haven't directed that much Shakespeare. I found as a director in Australia that usually the opportunities to direct the Shakespeare's are hived in the artistic directors. The artistic yeah, directors well, say, I want to do this Shakespeare. True, I want to do the big play. I want to have a crack at that. And as a freelance director, I pitched a lot, but <laughs> uh, but never really. Like Just the one time I, I got to direct Twelfth Night for, for Bell Shakespeare. And that was a gift to get yeah, to do. Yeah. Uh, I did it with seven people, believe it or not. Amazing. Yeah, um, that was an incredible It was production. a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. But I actually haven't had the chance to do it very much. But I remember the richness of experience and it's one of those things you when you're not an artistic director you kind of go well when I'm an artistic director yeah. I'll make sure <laughs> and one of the things was to make sure that actually I wasn't hogging all the good stuff well that's very generous <laughs> of you <laughs> no but again to acknowledge again the extraordinary talents that are around the country I kind of go get the best people to do the the different to specialize a little bit and I kind of go the work that you've done over the years I think the confidence you have what I'm starting to see and try and acknowledge in Australia is that a theatre-making tradition, our, our settler tradition, if you like, of theatre, is only about 50 years deep yeah. insofar as our state theatre company enterprise. Yeah. The enterprise that started in the late 60s, early 70s, to build Australian theatre as institutions, which meant building buildings and all of that stuff, it's just not that long. Yeah. In that time, we've been developing and growing, I suppose, our Australian theatrical sensibility in concentrated ways. And I suppose what building all these buildings has meant is that there's the same space that we're coming back to again and again and again to make Australian theatre. Yeah. And whether that's classics from other countries or our own writing, the sensibility has been growing. And one of the lovely things for me as a maker of my, of my age is that I can see that we do have a distinctive Australian voice right. and that we're starting to be able to talk about it dramaturgically in formal ways that can explain Australian theatre to American theatre and to English theatre. Yeah. We're not yeah. imitating anymore. The way we tell a story and the way as audiences we like to receive a story is culturally very different yeah. to other parts of the world. And I suppose that's what I see in your work is a distinctive Australian approach that's not about Australianizing. it's actually about letting Australian actors speak in the stories to Australian audiences yeah. and that you're telling stories and bringing stories to life in ways that may not appeal to an American audience yeah. or may not appeal to an English audience, but who cares? Yeah, well, that's right, exactly. That's not who we're making yeah. for. And I think yeah. the valuing of Australian audiences and as a result of that also the valuing of Australian artists and the art that they make. I think that's the age we're in. Yeah. I think what we're seeing is Australian audiences, when they come to see international works, going, well, why are we seeing that play? Yeah, it's a very uh, common conversation. You though. know, and it's not that we don't like works yeah. from overseas, but they've got to matter to us. Yeah, yeah. And I think that demand is coming from seeing a lot of Australian work. Yeah where yeah. they go, oh, I know why this matters to us. I might not agree with it, but I know why it matters. And it's new work too, isn't it? New like, work. It's interesting that what 
I think what has given Australia, I totally agree with you that we, our, our kind of, that long held cultural cringe for want of a better term that we may have had about, you know, Australia's position theatrically against, you know, Broadway and the West End and the RSC and all that sort of stuff. That we have, that our confidence I think has very much transcended that in the last couple of decades. And I think interestingly, and you'd know this from a lot of new work you've done, particularly with Griffin, that new work, new writing, all the First Nations work that has been so powerfully original and absolutely unique to our experience in this country has a huge effect on then the way we look at classical and neoclassical works too. I think that is sort of where our our sense of confidence and our ability to tell stories comes from is actually new writers. And it's interesting how... I, look, I, I came to theatre as a writer myself. Before, oh, that I didn't you know, know. Before directing and acting, writing is what I love the most and, and that's sort of what leads me to an admiration of Shakespeare's work, for example. So uh, it's funny how I think when you build when you build the grassroots of our own storytelling, I think it, it enables you to have a kind of shared language as makers of theatre that when you return to these classic works, you feel you don't need to kowtow or... or proselytize another way of doing it or kind of genuflect to the English tradition or whatever it might be, you can kind of, and like you say, you're not simply trying to, you know, Australianize them in a cliched way. I think, you know, we all owe something of a debt to John Bell and the way he committed for so many years back in a time when he would be brutalized by critics for daring to use an Australian accent in a Shakespeare play, you know, mm-hmm. which is so normalized now. And it's actually gone backwards in England too, as you know, now it's all about regional accents and trying to get rid of RP and get it off the stage. We see that you know. funny thing of moving to America. Suddenly all the Shakespeare I was seeing was in American accents yeah. and they didn't question that at all. No. And no. I kind of went, Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I kind of, as an Australian, I had to take two steps backwards and kind of go, the way the Americans just absorb everyone into yeah. the Americanness. <laughs> that was its own problem. But it kind of broke my ear of the expectation that it would sound a particular way or that culturally it should be a particular way. Yeah. Yeah. There is a Winter's Tale I want to have a play with, which is set in like, you know, a country and Western kind of space. Oh, phenomenal. I really want to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, point. Queensland, that is well, coming. Well, you know, it's coming somewhere down the track. But, but, you know, it's that funny thing. You've got to find the right time for a play, yeah, don't yeah. you? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Absolutely. Uh, and yeah. sometimes, uh, you know, the right time means getting into the thick of the politics of a time. Yeah. And, and I kind of go, there's a really interesting thing of, you know, we're doing this play because... I love your brain's take on this play. That would happen at whatever time. But, you know, it is a very interesting time to be putting a strong-voiced woman on a stage yeah. from a time when it, it's not that it didn't exist, it just wasn't uh, recommended if you wanted a peaceful life. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the history of the world is filled with exceptional women who've spoken against their time yeah. and either succeeded or struggle, struggled as a result. And I suppose this, is, this play is a celebration of that yeah. and an acknowledgement on, on Shakespeare's part that he knew those women. Yeah, yeah. well, that's right. <laughs> they, they did yeah. exist. I find, yeah. you know, that funny thing of the plays are these pockets of, t- there's time capsules of, of thought and they're proof yeah. that these ideas did exist. That's right. In that's the same right. way that our new plays are proof that these ideas exist in our society. Yeah, yeah. So she's not a fantasy. She existed. Yeah, absolutely. She suffered for it. 
but she yeah, did that's exist. Right. That's and, right. you know, I like to, I, I see a little bit of my grandmother in her. You know, and she was, my grandmother was born at the turn of the 20th century and she suffered for her yeah. independence. Yeah. But there are other great things that she had because she had that independent voice as well. So well, that's right. And there's not an as, as we said, there's not an actor in the room as we read the play on the first day that wasn't responding to the things Kate was saying and, and referencing women in their own lives. You know, while also looking at the play, examining the way a, a culture systemically tries to annul that voice, tries to take that voice away, tries to kind of force that person to absorb a weakness, you know, that can ruin that strength. And, and like you say, you don't, you know, Shakespeare always seems to remain prescient, but when we're looking at an Australia right now that has had, you know, ministers in the Australian parliament masturbating on the desks of female colleagues, calling women who are crying sexual assault on their ugly lying cows, you know, <laughs> unfortunately the play remains dangerously relevant to a culture that's still has problems with women who make noise, with women who speak powerfully, with women who express themselves, women who speak to power, etc. So the play is, um, it sits in the, the fact that he calls it the taming of the shrew. He's, he's running headlong into that argument, isn't he? Mm. Typically, as we know, he often calls plays something delightful, Midsummer Night's Dream, Twelfth Night, names it after an event like Midsummer <laughs> Night or like Twelfth Night or names it after a character, Romeo and Juliet. But in this, he says, no, here we go. You know, do you reckon there was something Someone, a friend or, you know, fellow producer who said to him, really, you're going to call yeah. it that? <laughs> you know, seriously, maybe there's a better title that's that would right, be a little bit more right, inviting, right. really. Like, yeah. like America's Aimless called a Kiss Me Kate, you know, yeah. which sort of transcends the original work in some strange way. Yeah, you know? yeah maybe a better title. Yeah, yeah, yeah I love that right. the Americans kind of going, no, we can sell this yeah, better. Can, yeah, right, exactly. No one's going to come see that. <laughs> Who wants to get into no that? You know, true is, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But yes, it faces that argument head on. And But, you know, as we've talked about a lot in the room and you've mentioned a bit today, it is a comedy too. And even that to me is incredibly prescient of our age because Kate in this play, and I love the way you've just expressed her there, and to add to that is she is essentially like the fool or the clown or Hamlet when he is behaving in the centre of that play. It, it, these people who deliberately marginalise themselves, become outliers within their own, in their own culture because they don't agree with that culture. One way they do it is through black, dangerous, satirical, subversive comedy. Well, you kind of have to. Yeah, that's you know, right. It's that funny thing of you, you have to see the black comedy or life becomes or go so mad. grim. That's right, exactly. You, it, or go mad. Yeah. And and I think that that's a, oh, <laughs> a technique for survival. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And so, she, yeah. you know, she kind of carries that same function. And, and the play being as funny as it is, and I think kind of pound for pound, it's one of his funniest plays. And yet it's, of all the comedies, among the, the darkest in its overarching kind of tale and drawn from very dark tales. It's drawn from a whole tradition of what they called shrew ballads, which were an incredibly popular form of storytelling in that age. There's 418 existing that we know extant shrew tales that you can still read about or hear the oral history of, and all of them are grotesquely violent things. And Shakespeare, you can feel it, can't you? Like, I think... Any young artist today who enters an established tradition like theatre or anything, they seek to immediately upend the table, don't they? They seek to immediately go, right, what can I do to this? What can I do to throw these traditions out the window? And it's easy to kind of forget that 
he wrote this play somewhere between 1589, 1591, maybe 1592, certainly before the great plague, like the plague we just had that hit him in 1592. And he was 25 or 26 years old, therefore, in writing that play, one of his earliest plays. And so what he's doing is looking at a whole tradition of a way women have been spoken about on stages and, and documented and not unlike Shylock making a couple of extraordinary speeches that answer back to cultural problems, he, he says let's, let's completely remove the basic structure of male to female physical brutality and violence that defines a shrew tale and said let's, let's make Kate a complex psychological troublemaker and pit her up against this fiercely intelligent, equally psychologically kind of manipulative man and watch this really modern kind of argument slash celebration slash, um, uh, I don't know, um, it's more than a dispute. It's like a, it's like a boxing match, but he, he removes all physicality from that and makes it very much about the mental kind of capacity for these two to learn what love might cost you or or where one earns self-esteem from. And it becomes this really sophisticated, subversive, very funny play. That, and I kind of agree with Jermaine Greer who said that the play wears its profundity lightly. It's really profound, but it does it with such a light touch that an audience is really laughing, I hope, at this play. It's and yet <laughs> sometimes questioning why they're laughing. And that's it, kind of exciting. It's petrifying though, isn't it? Yeah. I find comedy well, just oh, horrible. Absolutely. It's horrible. Everyone because sits depressed at lunchtime. It's, and, it's yeah, exactly. pass fail. It's either funny or it's not. People either laugh or they don't. That's and you just right. go, oh God, I no. Know. It's, Give it's me like a drama at any time. Oh, they were so quiet. You could hear a pin drop. That's uh -huh. right. Yep. That's, that's it, much. You feel that in the rehearsal room too because tragedy is... You know, at, at tea breaks and at lunchtime in tragedy, everyone's, everyone's laughing. laughing, taking the piss, having a ball, lots of laughter in the room and comedy. Everyone's seriously in. And the thing of that worried look on, That's on right. comic actors' face. How do I make it funny? That's right. How do, where's That's the right. laugh? How is that? Is it this? Is it that? Is it if I put the glass here or is it there? Which is funnier? Just the obsession that yeah. you have to have. But it's that lovely obsession, isn't it, with audience? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you if don't know. You can't know. get go inside yourself. You have to be thinking about them. Yeah, that's right. It's about how it impacts them, and I know that should be the case all the time. Yeah. But great comic actors, I find their knowledge of audience and respect for audience yeah. is extraordinary. Yeah. And I, I sometimes I, I love sometimes that thing of casting actors who are great comedians in dramas oh, because of that sensitivity absolutely. to audience. Humanity, yeah, the that's humanity, right. That's right. the detail yeah. of humanity. No, it's very hard. Yeah. I do remember as a young actor, I won't name the director, but a director getting very frustrated after a long day of failing comedy and from actors and said, um, look, do it again, make it funny, <laughs> screamed at the group. Yeah. That murdered the opportunity to make it funny, of course. Yeah, look, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, it's, for both of us, that, that, that thing of coming from an acting background and going into directing, uh, and again, in the, the difficult times that we've been in, I mean, we've both been in rooms where behaviours perhaps of directors have not been great mm, to yeah, live with yeah. and to suffer through. And I think we probably share a, a, a desire, both of us as a, as a director then, to, to, as directors then, to create a room that yeah. is supportive yeah. and, and a good room for yeah. actors to create in. Yeah, I think a positive room is... Is a, just essential to making great work. I mean, look, yes, of course you can make great work in an adversarial kind of space. Of course you can. But I think the the value and the quality of the 
the experience of those artists, you know. I think we work in a tough business, you know. Artists are employed a few months of the year sometimes and yeah. the level of rejection we face in this industry is extreme. Everyone knows that. And so when you are working, I do think when people can find when people can feel supported and feel a very positive space around them and everyone pulling in one essential direction, I think people can actually have the courage to dig a little deeper in themselves. I think often in that adversarial sort of room, it, it great things can come out of the kind of shame and pain people are experiencing. But I don't know sometimes if the if the effect of that can sustain a season either. You know, part of the the art of making theatre is the is the ability to come on every night and repeat the extraordinary discoveries you make. Eight shows a week. That's right. Cannot live. And I think you've got Mm. to find uh, the kind of positive balance that a cast turns up and and can't wait to share this story with an audience, you know. And so it's, yeah, I think that positivity is is a really important part of working in this industry. And I've seen years of actors responding to it. And like you say, when when you do a bit of acting yourself, I think we're sort of lucky. I've spoken to a few directors who are only directors and came into the industry as Mm. directors. And they've talked about, and I can imagine, Imagine it, the, the sort of loneliness of that task, because if you are purely directing, you're never in anyone else's room. You have your own methodology. You don't really witness. You don't get to bear witness to the way others might do it. You never you know? get to see another director that's working. Right, so that's it's right. this mysterious thing of how do you do it? You just yeah, make it up as you go along. Exactly. Yeah. So just being able to just being able to work with with wonderful directors around the country, you know, as an actor, it just gives you so much kind of material. We're all magpies, we're all thieves and and we, we can witness the way someone else handles a problem or the way they approach talking about a play or, you know, their their angle on on a, an artist who's, who's struggling with a moment or something. I, I just think it's a fortunate thing to sometimes witness other directors at work. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Now, we're going to wrap this up, Damien. I could sit here and no. talk all day to you <laughs> no, and I would I love to. No, 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 no. <laughs> no. Not at all. Again, and and for me, just selfishly, the chance to actually have a bit of a chat to mm. you about about what Absolutely. it is that we what it is that we do. And I want to thank you for coming up to Queensland and having a play in this space in the beautiful Bill Brown Theatre. What a beautiful theatre it is. Isn't too. it wonderful? Such an exciting space. It's it is. so dynamic. I can't wait to have an audience and in what's, here. And what's lovely is the audience is starting to learn what the space can do for them. Yeah, great. Every time they walk in, there's a different... Something new, it, yeah. Something new. And, you know, we're 20 years off getting bored with this space. Yeah, well, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> Long time. It's, uh, no, it's, it's that funny thing. It hasn't even settled into yeah, the imagination yeah, yeah. Of, of the city yet. So it's really lovely that you're here to in, inscribe an experience. Well, thank you. It's a real privilege. So thank you and, very much. And thank you very much. For the, the joy that I can feel emanating from your rehearsal room oh, as good, the actors so. are on the floor doing the thing that they love to do. Yeah. Yes, I think they would be joyful anyway to be back in the theatre working. working. Exactly. But, but the joy you can't take for granted, that's very much like the gift of a particular director to create that for a group of actors. And what I'm hearing oh, in the lunch you, breaks and end of day is a lot of very happy actors who are oh, talking talking more about the ideas and working more. And you get a, that's the kind of feeling where you go, oh, I think there's a real treat coming from the audience for the audience. Because I think as an audience we do see not only the play but the underplay, which, yeah, is, which is the the life of the actors sitting underneath yeah, it. And the I think ensemble. the life yeah. of your ensemble is looking very healthy from oh. the outside. <laughs> I can't wait to come in in a couple of weeks and have a sneak peek before Actually. it hits the audience. Yes, thank you. But thank you for this conversation. My pleasure. And get that winter's tail on. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. I'm Lee Lewis. You've been with us for another Quality Time podcast and I look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening to Quality Time. 
please rate and review it and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn and Twitter at QLD Theatre. You can visit our website, queenslandtheatre.com.au to sign up to our e-news and learn more about the stories we'll be sharing next. We can't wait to see you at the theatre again soon. Bye! Bye!